Once again, it's a great joy to come before you and, and to share the Word of God. We've got an interesting uh, morning ahead of us, some exciting news to share. If you look around, you see new faces, uh, both in this campus as well as our other campus. And given that, and given the fact that we are um, um, preparing to embrace a more refined constitution and other things that I will share with you. I thought that today would be the day that I would share a little bit about what's going on in the church, maybe answer some questions, but um, I'm always uncomfortable with this because I feel comfortable when I'm in the Word of God. You get me out of that, I don't have a lot to say other than a few notes, but, but therefore I'm going to weave it all together, all right? Maybe more for my comfort level than yours, but but there are some things that I want to share with you from the Word of God that I hope will, will, will help you really see, once again, who we are as a church, why we do what we do, where we are going, and so forth. You will recall, and the last time we were together, we were looking at the, the, the staggering ways Satan and his minions worked through wicked people, religious people, to somehow bring such torture to Christ and all that belonged to him. And you may recall that I said that if Satan's violence was that, that bad when the Lord was here the first time, just think what it's going to be like before he returns. And we're beginning to see that. I mean, you can see it in ISIS. You can see stuff in our own country. And so we know that what the world promised is happening. And that is that the world will hate you because it hates me. And as we look at the constellation of prophetic signs, we have every reason to believe that the Lord could return very, very soon, anytime. And we need to be ready. Moreover, we need to be busy about serving the king. And as we see all of this hatred mounting, we can be assured that Satan is going to do everything he can to discourage us, Believers, not just here, but all around the world, distract us and somehow defeat us, not only individually, but in terms of our families, our marriages, our church, our communities, and so forth. And certainly we're not immune to those kinds of attacks. I'm sure that some of you, just like me, at times feel discouraged and frustrated, and it's easy to get distracted from what is really most important but I'm thankful that Jesus said this, I will build my church. Because I can't, you can't, but we can trust that he will. And he is doing this all over the globe, including here at Calvary Bible Church. And as I mentioned last week, because Satan knows that his days are numbered, uh, he is going to do everything he can to somehow uh, thwart the purposes of God in our church and our families. And we have to be aware of that, but also we can see how the omnipotent, faithful, loving hand of God is blessing what we are doing here. And so I wish to address this morning some of the things about what is God is doing at Calvary Bible Church. Why are we doing some of the things we're doing? Where are we going? What's the purpose of this or that and so forth? And it's important for us to be careful that we don't uh, somehow create a false narrative, and that's easy to happen. You know, sometimes if you don't have the facts on things, you create facts. I'm guilty of that. We all are, and we've seen that from time to time in this church, so we want to be careful with that. And I might also add that this is not going to be on the internet, okay? This is, this is just for us. If you want a copy of it, I'm sure Joseph can give you a, a DVD or what is it, a CD, whatever it is, and uh, maybe even Mickey can put it on the back side of the, of the website where nobody else can get it unless you, you want it with a password. But in order to do this, I, I, I would like to, first of all, bring us to Matthew chapter 28, where I read a little bit ago. If you'll take your Bibles and just turn there for a moment. We're going to look at a couple of verses here. And then at the end, I want to wrap it up by taking you to some of Paul's words in Philippians chapter 1. You will recall Paul's, or the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Folks, this is the mission of the church. This is what we are all about at Calvary Bible Church. In light of the absolute sovereign authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, he commands us to go therefore and make disciples. In fact, make disciples is the main verb and the central command of this whole passage. We are to proclaim the gospel of Christ, the good news of sins forgiven to the lost so that they will place their faith, their trust in Jesus Christ and follow him throughout their lives so that they will be a part of a continual learning process that they might become more like Christ. That's what we're all about. That's what we're called to do. In fact, there are three participles here that Jesus uses to help us understand the specific requirements Jesus gives for making disciples. It involves three things. Notice, first of all, he says we are to go. In the original language, it's better translated, having gone, which suggests that this requirement is not so much a command as an assumption. You know, given the fact that we have been saved and we know what we deserve versus what we have received, naturally we're going to go and share that good news. And then he says also we must baptize, which is the initial um, act of obedience to Christ after salvation. Uh, a testimony to our union with him. We now identify with him in terms of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. But then he adds that we are to teach them to observe all that I commanded. So you must understand the Great Commission is more than just evangelism. That's kind of the beginning of it. From there, we must teach the truth and help others apply that truth to their life. Now, not every believer is going to be gifted in the same way. Not every believer is a gifted teacher, for example. But every one of you must be faithful in promoting the ministries of teaching God's Word, not only for evangelism to make a disciple, but also to teach that disciple the great truths of the Word of God and how to apply them to their life. This is reflected in the mission statement of Calvary Bible Church that you can find on our website. It says, in unity, affirming the absolute authority and sufficiency of Scripture, we exist to equip the saints through expository preaching, teaching, and biblical discipleship, resulting in progressive sanctification, the exercise of spiritual gifts in Christian service, genuine worship, and the evangelization of the lost, all of which exalt the Lord Jesus Christ in his mystical body, the church, bringing eternal glory to God and undeserved blessing to his elect. Now, we do this in a variety of ways through certainly the the, the pulpit ministry of this church, through Sunday school, adult Bible fellowship, uh, fellowship groups, uh, Awana, student ministries, the whole soul care ministry that I'll elaborate upon in a moment, uh, even our expanded um, uh, campus into the Nashville area, planning churches like the one in Kalispell that I'll talk about too. But let me address some of these things a little bit more specifically. For example, our world missions strategy. You may recall that a little over a year ago, due to budgetary restrictions, we had to trim our missions giving and trim in a lot of other places. A number of people were struggling economically because of all of the reasons that we know about in our political system and so forth. And so we reevaluated where we could really be good stewards of our money. We even thought through how we need to give towards certain mission organizations where we can have an accounting of the, of the funds so we make sure we know how it's being used, and especially to think about mission organizations that we can partner long-term with, that share our unique DNA as a church, as a teaching, training church, And so we decided to focus primarily on Life and Messiah International. They met our qualifications completely, and we've been giving to them 
and also, uh, the scripture says to the Jew first, and this is what they primarily focus their evangelism on all around the world. However, by God's grace, the Lord has been increasing our numbers here at this campus and certainly at the other campus. And we are now nine months into our fiscal year, and our giving has increased $50,000. Plus, our expenses have been $15,000 less than budgeted. And we had really trimmed the budget, but we have spent even less than what we have budgeted. Therefore, we are thankful that by God's grace, we have a surplus at the church of $70,606.35. And that's wonderful news. And we have every reason to believe that this trend is going to continue as the church continues to grow and give and so forth. And so this gives us an opportunity to increase our budget in some key areas. One of those areas is in the area of mission. So we have just this last week decided to think through other missions that we can begin to give to, and we are immediately beginning to give $300 a month to two pastors and a seminary professor who served together in Leon, Spain at Community Bible Church and Berea Seminary. Let me give you just a brief background. This is really exciting. By the way, Jake and Debbie Hutchison have been there. Uh, Joe and Tara have been there, and I have been there. We know these people. Uh, they are like-minded with us in every way, and God is doing an amazing work in that seminary. They just graduated their first class. Men are coming from all over Spain uh, to be a part of this, of this new work. Um, but... If you look back in the days of the Reformation, the Reformation never made it to southern France. It never made it over the Pyrenees Mountains into Spain. So Spain to this day is a very, very dark place. But yet, we know in 1870, two students of Charles Spurgeon left England, and they went to northern Spain, and they even went to a place there in Leon, Spain. It's kind of a little, um, it's almost a little museum now. You can see where one of the brothers lived with his family. I wish I could take you all there. You see all of these old Spurgeon books that are worth hundreds of thousands of dollars probably. But they went there and they brought the gospel and they suffered enormous persecution over the years. And now, by God's grace, we see the Lord bringing uh, these dear brothers together to this place and see this church beginning to grow and this seminary being formed. So we're excited to partner with them. Now let me address this issue in terms of, of why we will partner with and do some of the things we do. You know, every church has a different, shall we say, DNA. Every church is a little bit different. And we happen to be a teaching and training church. And that's important for you to understand. In 1 Corinthians 7, 17, Paul says, Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned him and to which God has called him. And I am very confident, as I have been for years, that this is where God has called me and placed me here in this campus, here in Jolton, Tennessee, to be a pastor teacher. I'm very content with, with what he's called me to do. I don't always do it as well as I wish I could, but it's not like I would rather be a banker or something else. This is what God has called me. I'm very excited about that. You need to be excited about what God has called you to do as well. But it's for this reason that I, over the years, and will continue to surround myself and co-labor with like-minded, like-gifted, like-called men and ministries. You see, every individual in the body of Christ including every local church, will have unique gifts and unique callings and therefore unique emphases. For example, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. So we know that each of us, as we work together in this 
spiritual organism, the body of Christ in this local church. We all have different parts, like different parts in our body, and when, when they all work together and we work in unity, we can do wonderful things as we serve the head of the church, who is Christ. We do this with our gifts for the common good, as Paul says. But now this is going to look a little different for every church. For example, not every physical body looks alike. If we look around here, you don't all look like me, me and you can be thankful for that. Uh, we all look different. The same thing with churches. Some churches are gifted and called in other ways. Um, so they will look different than us. They will have different emphases. Uh, some that I know of, uh, they specialize in street evangelism or homeless shelters, unwed mother or drug addiction shelters. Some really emphasize serving the poor in their community, penetrating public high schools, athletic ministries, being a part of civic affairs, and on and on it goes. And those are all wonderful things, and, and certainly we, we do some of those things, and we, I would love to see us do more if we have more people that want to step up and do that, but you must understand that is not who we are. We can participate and do some of those things, but that's not my gifting, it's not my calling, it's not my focus, it's not my passion. The uniqueness of Calvary Bible Church is inherent in our calling and our ability to equip and to train believers, especially pastors and elders, to train them to do the work of evangelism and discipleship and to plant churches. Therefore, consistent with how God has, has designed us and equipped us, our ministry strategy, especially with missions, is to co-labor with others who are like us. Others that have a similar calling, as well as to minister to those who are weak in these areas. For example, God has allowed me to spend time teaching seminary in Kenya. And as you may know, we have spent uh, thousands of dollars, and I have spent hundreds of hours uh, helping a Sudanese pastor, Elijah Iraq, uh, come to the United States, be trained at Shepherd's Theological Seminary, receive his degree, and so forth. By the way, I'm in contact uh, with Elijah again this week. He's here in the United States. That's another whole story I'd be glad to share with you privately. Uh, I've been to Siberia on several occasions. I would like to go back serving with Slavic Gospel Association, training pastors, and I remain in contact with some of them. We are the sending church of, of, of Charlie Frederico uh, in Kalispell, Montana, Berean Bible Church in, in Kalispell. I'm in contact with Charlie weekly. Uh, and I might also add, and not this week, but the next week, uh, I will be joining him in a live stream conference there in Montana, and we will, we will be speaking on Israel, the law, and the church. And God has, has given me several other pastors that I mentor all around the world, mostly here in the United States, but several in other parts of the world. So this is who we are. And this is why we have our soul care ministry that Dr. Joe Miller has, has been called to establish. And, and we are so thankful for Joe and for Tara, the work that they have done. They've spent countless hours and continued to spend countless hours in discipling and counseling others behind the scene. In fact, I was talking with Joe recently. They have just completed the second round of a 26 lesson curriculum designed to equip the disciple in biblical theology and, and encourage weekly accountability. I would encourage you, by the way, to go to the Soul Care website, uh, fbscm.org, all right? And you can read all about everything that's going on there, the Fellowship of Biblical Soul Care Ministry. And it's amazing, now half the people of Calvary Bible Church have been through a level one training, this 26-week training, and there's a waiting list for more. And many of these people are discipling others. And he has also had a group of folks that have completed level two who are now enrolled in the, I mean, they've completed level one and they're now enrolled in level two, the biblical counseling track. And they meet here on Thursday nights. And I am thrilled to announce something that has been my passion and prayer for years, that we now have 
eight graduates who will serve in the Center for Biblical Counseling that we will open up here after the first of the year. And there are others in the process of training that will be added to that. So with these people and with Joe and Tara and myself, we will have 10 biblical counselors in a center. And I can assure you, because of the overwhelming need for this and the constant phone calls and and emails that I get and that Joe and Tara get and, and probably that you get, the day we open this up, we will be overwhelmed with phone calls. So this is exciting to know that we have this opportunity and that God is doing this in our church. I turned down, I was keeping track of this, um, I turned down an average of two people every week for counseling. People in desperate need. That's just me. And I never turn down any of you in the church. I will always be available to you if I have to stay up. But people outside the church, I, I, I I have to turn them down. And I'm not sure how many Joe and Tara turned down as well as others. This is a huge need. And it breaks my heart to have somebody call me and say, Pastor, my son is, is addicted to this. Or my wife has just left me. And, and on and on and on it goes. Where do they go? In, mo- in most cases, they don't go to churches. The churches send them out to somebody else. But I'm thankful that we, by God's grace, can, can do something to help. We have several people that are involved in this. Uh, Dr. Joe Tierney, a licensed psychologist. You know Joe, my brother-in-law. He fully embraces biblical counseling, and he's continuing to be trained more and more. He'll be a part of this. Chuck Haley, uh, who is now uh, enrolled in Southern Seminary to get his master's degree in biblical counseling, he'll be a part of this. Uh, Of course, Tara Miller, David Simmons, Ty Rogers, Stephen Brandy Rehotis, Dina White, and there are others that are in the chute, shall we say, that will eventually be joining them. Folks, this is part of fulfilling the Great Commission. This is how we can reach out to our vast community in Middle Tennessee. Also, Joe and I will begin teaching the Level 3 training which is a two-year program that provides a classroom setting for those who have completed levels one and two. And this will be a study of, um, of theology, the systematic theology of the Bible. So you say, what is your strategy to fulfill the Great Commission? Well, this is part of it. Making disciples, teaching them to observe all that the Lord has commanded And this is our outreach, our way of evangelizing uh, our community. Other churches do other things, and that's fine. A lot of churches do fun activities. They help the the poor. They they, they give clothing to the poor. They do food banks. They do athletics, as I said, but that's not our DNA. That's not, therefore, our focus and our strategy, though we welcome others to step up and to help do some of those things. I must also add that soul care is not an exclusive ministry. It's not like you can't counsel or disciple other people if you haven't gone through all of this. We would encourage you to if you want to be a part of the counseling center because we feel that it's important to be obedient to the admonition to study to show yourself approved. And it's also important to understand some of the things that that, that you will be dealing with that can be complicated. It's important for you to have that supervision. But all believers are called to disciple and, and, and to, to counsel. Uh, you mothers do it every day with your children and so forth. So don't think that this is some e- e- exclusive kind of ministry, but it is certainly our passion. I also want to mention the fact that there is a dear brother that I began mentoring a number of years ago uh, who shares our passion for biblical discipleship and counseling. He, he has a passion for our church, and he has a foundation which pays Pastor Joe's salary. That's an amazing thing in and of itself. And uh, he is from the Paris, Tennessee area. So Joe has been going to Paris um, at least one day, sometimes more than that, a week, as if he didn't have enough to do here. And he has been uh, training and discipling and counseling there. He started at uh, a church that has embraced this, Tennessee Valley Community Church. He started with 90 
people, this was almost three years ago, 90 people going through level one, 30 people then wanted to go through level two, and now he has 12 people in level three. So here we have people in the Paris, Tennessee area who have invested three years of their life thus far in receiving this training. And there is a waiting list for counseling in the Paris area. And lots of times Joe and Tara will, will Skype and counsel, counsel these people. So the Lord is blessing this ministry. And I might also add that Joe is volunteering his expertise to train others globally. There are other churches in the United States and in other parts of, uh, of the world that are interested in what is happening here. He's going there to speak and to spread uh, what we are doing so that God can use that. So we're thankful for that. And I might add, I, I hope that you will pray for Joe and Tara. Um, most of what they do, you, you will never see. But I know from firsthand experience what a burden it is to work constantly with people who are hurting. And many times they don't want to hear what you have to say. In fact, I was talking with a pastor the other day. He said, man, I don't know why you guys are doing all of this type of thing. Because every time we counsel people in our church, they get mad and leave. Well, that does happen. But pray for them, but also pray for the fact that Joe is going to be bringing his 80-year-old mother to live with them uh, and spend the final years of her life with them. And they have searched all over Middle Tennessee to find a single-level ranch with two suites so that she can have her own bath and um, something that they could afford. They finally found one in Mount Juliet. And so it'll be great. The campus there, those people will be able to minister to Joe's dear mother as they care for her. And so, uh, wrapping up some of this, I, I, would, I, I would caution you against statements like, well, we just don't understand why the Millers are here. Well, now you do, I hope. Uh, well, why doesn't Joe Miller be our youth pastor? What we really need is a youth pastor. That's not what he's been called and gifted to do. That is not the reason he is here. And we have another strategy for that. Well, why don't we see them on Wednesday nights at prayer meeting and other things that we do? Um, it's because they are typically discipling and counseling at night. That's the only time they have to do that. I mean, not many of you can say to your boss, you know what, I need to go talk with my pastor about this issue in my marriage or whatever. Um, Nancy and I kind of laugh about this. A almost every weeknight for us, we're, we're dealing with people. And the same thing is true with Joe and Tara. And so just bear that in mind. And another caution, please don't believe um, a false narrative that might say that somehow we don't love the folks in our Jolton community. I've heard that a few times. That, that, I tell you, that really hurt me when I heard that. It's like, how, what else do we have to do to demonstrate our love to the people here? And I think the mindset is, well... Um, you know, if you really love the people here, you, you would be doing more of the things that other churches are doing, that you would be doing more of the, the food and clothing banks, you'd be in the high schools more, be more involved in civic affairs, having family fun days, and, and all of those types of things. Folks, th th those are great, and I wish we could do more of those, but once again, please hear this kindly. That's not our DNA. That's not what God has called me to do and the direction that we're going here. Moreover, I question how effective some of those community events really are with respect to fulfilling the divine mandates of the Great Commission. But I know from being here all of these years that what people are crying out for is exactly what we can give them. I tell you, when you get on the other end of the phone, like I am so often, and you hear people that can't hardly speak because they're sobbing so hard, over these catastrophic issues in their life. I mean, their lives, their marriages, their families are train wrecks. And to know that, that, that we have the remedy, we have the gospel, for, we have something to tell them, their help, their hope can be found in Christ. And then to be able to say, but I'm sorry, I just don't have time to be with you. And of course, we will invite them to the church, but you know, that's, you know how people are with that type of thing. But I'll tell you, we know from other churches that when you, when you begin to open yourself up and say, look, it won't cost you anything, you, you, you come. We, we have some people that will be glad to talk with you.
to share some thoughts from the Word of God and to minister to you, you will see how people will respond to that. That's what our communities are desperate for. That's what they need. So this is what really defines us. This is what defines what we do as a church. This is why we have Awana, for example. This is why we have even our musicians. I don't know if you realize this, but they're very keen on making sure that the lyrics that we, see, that we sing are not only doctrinally sound, but they are didactic. We're, you're, you're constantly being taught when you sing. This is why... You know, I will go on, on every other Tuesday morning to Donaldson to meet with men for a Bible study at 6.30. And now, in the evening, I'm going to be opening up uh, my study once again to do uh, basically an exposition of Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress. We already have over 20 men signed up, and there are guys in the community wanting to come. So now I'm getting word that my study is not going to be able to hold all of this. This is why we do what we do. This is why I, I was thinking... This is, why, um, this is why my father is not here today, because he's out speaking. He's out proclaiming the gospel and what God has done in his life. And you all, I, I, I shouldn't just use my dad. As, and so many of you are doing the same thing. That's what we are about at Calvary Bible Church. That is why we post the audio and the video transcripts of, of the expositions from this pulpit on, on several different websites, especially Sermon Audio. We have between 2,500 and 3,000 regular uh, listeners to, to, to this church that, that are a part of this. And so this is why so many of you labor every week. So folks, together we are building the kingdom Another way we are doing this is by expanding our campus into the Nashville area. Let me give you a little background on this. It has been my passion for some time to expand into to the metro Nashville uh, area. There are very few, if any, churches, especially where we are focusing in, in the heart of all of the growth, uh, there's very few people that have a robust reformed soteriology that teaches the doctrines of grace, that holds to a consistent hermeneutic throughout scripture, that teaches a, a premillennial dispensational eschatology and so forth. And since we had two families that lived in Mount Juliet and they were really struggling to continue driving, uh, we decided to find a location on that side of town our first choice was unavailable, so we went into a gym, and that was not a good place. And then our first choice opened up, which uh, is the Hermitage Community Center, where we're meeting now. It looks and feels like a church, great place for kids to uh, and have a nursery. And this gives easy access to one of the fastest-growing regions in the entire United States. Do you realize there are 68 families moving to Nashville every day. There's going to be a million more people here by 2020. And where we are is in the heart of all of that. So we started a year ago with those two families, then another couple and a single man joined us. And now we have eight new families, two partial family units, visitors coming every Sunday. We have and anticipated four more families that looks like will be coming very soon. And of course, you would expect this in that area um, where it's growing so rapidly, as opposed to uh, where we're at here, that is a sparsely populated rural area. So I go there every uh, Sunday morning. Nancy and I leave. We have a 9 o'clock service, um, and I go with Nancy again one Sunday night per month to be with those folks. And some of you have asked, and I think this is a great, great question, um, well, what will you do when... That church gets big enough that they need a pastor in their own area. Well, first of all, would that be a wonderful problem to have? And the answer is real simple. We'll help them find one. Wouldn't that be great? And then maybe we can do this again somewhere else. And then you want to be careful with perhaps the thought, well, now wait a minute. Joe Miller has found a home out there in Mount Ju I bet you he's going to pastor that church. No, that is not, you can see him laughing, that is not what Joe has been called here to do. That is not the desire of his heart, not that he has anything against pastoring a church, but that is not even remotely true. Uh, Mount Juliet was the only place he could find to, to rent the, the place where he's at. 
And so Joe and Tara will continue to alternate between the two campuses. And and you might also ask the question, well, is this even a biblical model? I'm not, I, I, you know, I'm concerned about this. That's very fair, but I would answer, absolutely it's a biblical model. Paul went from church to church to help them get established. But you must understand, this is not a satellite church model uh, that promotes a celebrity preacher that is put up on a screen in, in a variety of different campuses and the folks never get a chance to know him, don't know his family, don't know his, his wife, don't know anything about his life, and there's not the kind of shepherding that needs to take place and so forth. That's not at all what we're doing here. And if you look at church history since Pentecost, churches without a pastor have had itinerant shepherds come and help them. This is very common in other countries. I'll give you a quick story. Uh, Victor Sidzoff, many of you remember him, one of our pastor friends from Russia. He's the guy that we tease. He looks like James Bond. Um, I can remember being with him in the middle of the week. We would get in the van, cram in all of their musicians, and we would drive through those terrible roads in, in, in Russia. You literally have to wear a seat belt to keep your head from hitting the, the roof. All right? There's no way you could ever drink a cup of coffee driving in the roads in Russia. Um, and where would we go? Well, we would go to some of these little villages where there would be 30, maybe 40 people, uh, and they don't have a pastor. Victor's their pastor. And we would come in and spend hours with them and fellowship with them. You'd come in and they're weeping. They're celebrating the fact that they can worship and they can be fed the Word of God. And by the way, a lot of them had never seen an American before. It was an amazing thing. And it was a real blessing to them to know that you all had sent me to come minister to them. And then on Sundays, the same thing. Finish the church service and then take off in the afternoon. Drive for maybe a couple hours. Do another service. Then when you're done there, drive a couple more hours. Do another service. Get home about 1 o'clock in the morning. And I remember thinking to myself, man, this guy is a servant of Christ. And, and I, feel, I feel bad. I just, I just do one service. And I'm thinking, Lord, I can do more than this. I can do better than this. Now you might ask, well, how long are you going to continue to do this? The answer is real simple. I don't know. Until the Lord makes it clear that we need to stop. I don't know. And does this mean that you're no longer committed to the Jolton campus? Absolutely not. Of course I'm committed to this campus. This is, is not like uh, I'm trying to, I don't know, get away from you and go down there or whatever. Uh, this, is, this is just part of fulfilling the Great Commission. And you might also ask, well, isn't this really stretching our resources thin? Well, the answer is financially, not really. We're thankful that God continues to bless our resources. And I might also add that the people on the other campus have paid their way from the start and more so. So we're thankful for that, but it does stretch our human resources some. I will acknowledge that. It stretches our musicians. They get up early, they go play there, and then they come up here. And we thank you for that. Uh, it stretches our elders from time to time. Um, and, and even for me, you know, anytime you have increased numbers of people, you have increased shepherding responsibilities and so forth. However, that would be the case if they were here this morning. So it does stretch us some. Frankly, we need more full-time staff. Uh, we also need more of you to step up and to serve. And speaking personally, I mean, Sundays, yeah, it adds maybe another five hours to, my, to what I do on Sunday, but it doesn't really take any more time or energy than if they were here. And I, I think you know that I still remain accessible to all of you. I'm a phone call or an email away. But if I can speak very personally, folks... This is what God has called and gifted me to do. And I am absolutely miserable if I'm not exhausting myself for the sake of the kingdom, to serve the king. And there is nothing more important to me in life than exhausting myself for the sake of the gospel, to proclaim the unsearchable mysteries of the word of God and the riches of Christ. And I might also add, speaking personally, I think I may have another 15, 20 years of effective ministry. I don't know if I'll be here the whole time. I hope I am. You may run me off long before that. 
But if I think realistically, that, that's probably about how long I have. And I look at my life and I say, Lord, you have blessed me with every spiritual blessing. Moreover, you have blessed me with excellent health, excellent elders, an excellent congregation of people that love you, that actually allow me to preach the truth of the word, even though many times it's pretty offensive. And they still love me. And probably best of all, Lord, you have given me an excellent wife. And so therefore, like Jeremiah, the preaching of the word of God is like a burning in my bones. Folks, I will literally explode if you do not let me preach the word of God. So please don't put me in some box. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. As Paul said, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. And I understand that. And I must fully manage very carefully all that God has given to me. And I'm in, I am deeply appreciative of, of those of you who are concerned for my well-being. I truly am. I've heard some say, he simply cannot keep up this pace. He's going to burn out. I, I appreciate that. But folks, you must understand, I hope I can say this right, that's exactly what I intend to do. Not burn out in a bad way, but absolutely cross the finish line, utterly exhausted, having, having basically used up every ounce of strength. You know, as I think about it, I've got all, all eternity to rest. Now's not the time to rest. Now's the time to fight. We're at war. So I want to collapse in utter exhaustion when I cross the finish line. I want to be a good soldier, and I know you do too. I want to give my life for the king. I want to go out in a blaze of glory. Not my glory, but for his glory. I'm nothing but an old clay pot. But housed within that pot is the glorious gospel of Christ. I'm expendable. You know, also, I would have to add, the world has nothing I, I want. The, the older I get, the less, the less I find anything in this world that, that attracts me. I'm a citizen of another kingdom. I'm in his majesty's service. I serve the king. He's coming for me. I, like you, I'm trying to store up treasures in heaven. I'm living in light of eternity. I want to be able to say, like Paul, I have come to the end of my days and I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. I am, as Paul said in Galatians 4.19, in labor until Christ is formed in you. It's like a woman in labor. I am, I am travailing in pain to see Christ birthed in you. And I might also add that I realize it is my responsibility to set the pace for you. I want to be an example to you. And as poorly as I do it, and I grieve over that at times, by God's grace, I'm going to continue to strive. And I know my elders are the same way. I know many of you are the same way. I want to be able to, as the writer of Hebrews said, run with endurance the race that is set before me, fixing my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the Father. So folks, I want to call you all to arms. The world hates us. The hatred is mounting. The church is under siege in ways that it never has been before in the United States. Soon, I believe, we will lose our tax-exempt status. I think in the next five years that will happen. That's the ultimate agenda of the progressive left and their gay rights movement. At that point, giving will go down. Imagine if you could no longer have a tax deduction for your giving. What's going to happen? A lot of you won't be able to afford to give. Maybe. We may lose our church buildings. You're going to see, therefore, an increase in itinerant pastors traveling around to little groups of people meeting in barns, meeting in homes. There's a real possibility that I, along with other pastors, will be put in prison because I will not bow to what they ask me to do. And then you will have to stand on your own. Others of you will have to stand up. And frankly, persecution would be the best thing that would ever happen to any church. We've seen that down through history. 
But in light of this, Paul says in Ephesians 5, Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So I ask you all to step up, and many of you have. And I guess I could say just step up more. I I think of the example of student ministries. What a fantastic response we have had from so many of you uh, to be a part of the mentoring and modeling teams. Uh, We have now enough people to handle the entire 12 months, and we're trying to figure out how to make all of that happen. I got more information from the folks at the other campus today. We've gone from just the, the Hutchison's, and the Hoffmans and Tim Awad doing something on Wednesday nights and overloading them to now having like, like 25 or 30 people involved in student ministries. And folks, I hope more of you will step up. This is how the church should function. We're going to need help in planning and leading short-term mission trips and, and maybe other ministries that you need to be a part of, maybe the music ministry, um, Awana, uh, whatever. There's so many things. We want to expand our small groups. We believe these are key to one anothering. We're going to be looking at how to do that, interacting with those of you in groups and so forth. And I would also ask all of you to examine your financial stewardship. You know, are you worshiping the Lord in this way? Are you a good steward of all that the Lord has given you? Or are you spending all of your money on yourself? Some of you need maybe to re-examine your investment portfolio. Can I make a sales pitch? I have an investment that is guaranteed to never fail and it will compound in ways beyond your calculation. Invest in the kingdom. That's what you need to be doing. I humbly ask you to guard your heart against the temptation that we all will struggle with from time to time. Temptation to not have facts on certain things, so you create facts. And then you begin to gossip and maybe slander and you start believing a false narrative about different things. We want to be careful with that because that's how Satan wants to basically distract us and defeat us. We want to stay united. And in light of that, boy, I have run out of time. But if you'll give me just five more minutes, can I take you to Philippians 1? And and this is so important. This is going to be the fastest exposition I have ever done. Philippians 1, beginning in verse 27 through 30, Paul's going to tell us four things. Stand firm, stay united, strive together, and suffer expectantly. All right? First of all, stand firm. He says in verse 27, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm. It's the idea of being unrelenting and holding a per- one's ground, come what may. It's the soldier who defends his position at all cost, even if it means sacrificing himself. Folks, I'm calling you to join with me to stand firm in terms of of our doctrine, our convictions, never compromise on the truth, regardless of personal cost. Later on, he will say, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Twice in Ephesians, he's going to say, stand firm against the schemes of the devil. In other words, stand firm. Don't let him tempt you to sexual immorality, tempt you to lie, to gossip, to slander, to silence your conscience, to somehow compromise, to resent spiritual authority, to be distracted with things that are eternally inconsequential. Guard yourself against that. And then he tells us, secondly, to stay united. Notice he says, do this in one spirit with one mind. In other words, we have to live in harmony with one another. This was Jesus' great passion. Remember at the Last Supper, he told his disciples that were fighting amongst each other. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So not only should we stand firm and stay united, but then I love this. He says that we are striving together for the faith of the gospel. This is the third little point in my outline. Strive together. We've got to strive together. In other words, we have to sacrifice our own agenda. We have to sacrifice uh, our own welfare 
and our demands to somehow do what we want to do. It, it carries the idea of soldiers locking their shields and their arms together as the Romans would do, and they would take a step forward, and they were basically unstoppable. That's what we have to do as a church. We have to lock arms together in unity toward a common goal, and that goal is the Great Commission. And we do it consistently with the way God has called us and gifted us and, and given us experience and so forth. And then he says, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you and that too from God. For to you it has been granted, Calvary Bible Church, for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. So folks, not only do we stand firm, stay united, and strive together, but we should suffer expectantly. Verse 30, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me as he was shackled to a Roman soldier. Folks, will you commit all of this to prayer? Will you give God the glory for what he is doing? We've got... We've got, like every church, we've got things we need to do better. I know that. If you could see my heart, you would think, man, I don't know if I want this guy for my pastor. If I could see your heart, I would think, man, I don't want to pastor these people. You know how it is. We're a bunch of sinners saved by grace. But if we, if we do these things, as, as we've been trying to do, we will see God bless in amazing ways. And so I call you together. And if I could leave you with this final word, let's strive together. Let's lock arms, let's strive together and pray that God will use us mightily for his glory. If you have any questions on things, please give us a call. And if you got ideas, and I know some of you do, I heard some good ones the last week or so. I don't have time to talk about all of them, but if you have anything like that, please let us know as we endeavor to strive together for the sake of the gospel, for the cause of Christ, because the king is coming. The king is coming. Father, thank you for these truths. Thank you for the hope that is ours. Thank you for all that you are doing in and through us, so often despite who we are as sinful people that have such a proclivity to be hard-headed and unloving and unforgiving and lazy. So, Lord, pour out your blessing upon each of us. Give us a renewed passion to serve you. And Jesus, Lord Jesus, come quickly, I pray in your name. Amen. We pray you've been edified by this presentation. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Jolton, Tennessee. For more information on Calvary Bible Church or for more audio, please visit our website at cbctn.org.